Deborah and I, uh, years ago, uh, uh, knew somebody. We worked with somebody named Charles. Uh, we really liked Charles. I, I think everybody liked Charles. Uh, Charles is a, a very extroverted, very friendly guy, uh, just gregarious, uh, always with a smile on his face, loved interacting with people. And we worked in retail, so it was a great job for him. He, he sincerely and genuinely loved helping customers and, and getting them what they needed and getting them on their way and getting them to leave with a smile on their face. Charles was just great. Uh, but Charles also had some sort of Charles-isms. <laughs> there were things uh, sometimes that came out of his mouth, and some of those were, were repeated things that we all, you know, and nobody ever said, Charles, stop saying that, you know, but it was just, there were just things that he was known for. But sometimes something would come out of his mouth that was somewhat unexpected. Uh, one time, uh, Deborah and I had a bunch of our coworkers over at, at, to our apartment just for fun. We were just having dinner together and, and having a, a nice evening together. And at one point in the evening, Charles said to the room, he announced, my wife makes my skin crawl. <laughs> and we all reacted kind of similarly to the way you just did with a sort of mixture of laughter and uncomfortableness. And we thought, what? Especially because Charles's wife was right there, sitting in the room, sitting next to him. And we thought, Charles, what? Because, you know, for most of us, to make your skin crawl means something kind of creeps you out, you know? It gives you the willies. And Charles understood, oh, no, 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 that's not what I mean. And, and what was happening is his wife was right then, you know, just doing that thing where you just kind of run your, your fingertips lightly on his, and he loved it. He was saying it in a good way. But what came out of his mouth was, my wife makes my skin crawl. <laughs> you got to be careful when you say things. Sometimes that we're all on the same page. It's easy at times to, um, to say a thing and, and maybe mean something slightly different than maybe some other people here. And it's good to sort of get on the same page as to what we're talking about when we say a thing. I want, to, want you to grab your Bibles again. Turn back to James chapter 3 been studying James. If you didn't bring a Bible with you, there are some in the pews in front of you, or in the racks in front of you there. Feel free to use those. James chapter 3, and we're going to start this morning in verse 13. And James says this, who is wise and understanding among you? Um, this has sometimes been taken by some to, to be almost a, a challenge. You know, almost as if James is saying, come on, nobody among you is really wise. I, I don't think that's at all what James is saying. I mean, I, I think he's asking a legitimate question. And frankly, if I may, this sort of ties into the passage we looked at last week. At the very beginning of the passage, in verse 1 of this chapter, he says, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, remember that? It's such a weird statement. And it's a statement that seems a little bit out of place with what follows, although I, I think we talked about that and I think we decided that's not the case. It is very much in context. But this is part of the same context. This idea of, of teachers, of, of those who would, who would maybe be above other people. And he asks this question. Who among you is wise and understanding? But then he says something really interesting. By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. 
or some of you have in the humility of wisdom or the gentleness of wisdom. This is so interesting because we've already seen this theme, haven't we? It's been a strong theme in James where James says, okay, you say you have this faith, but show me. Show me, right? Don't just tell me. Show me. When you talk about uh, storytellers, you know, whether it's uh, in literature or in film or television, you know, there's this saying, you know, show me, don't tell me. Don't just give me a bunch of exposition, you know, show it. That's kind of what James says here. He says, don't just talk about your faith. That's great for you to talk about the magnitude of the faith that you have. Show me. Real faith, genuine faith, comes with a demonstration, yes? And we want to be real careful. James is not suggesting that we earn our salvation, that we earn our place with God by, by good works. The Bible's really clear on that. We can't do that. God is too perfect for us to sort of try to earn our way into his favor. But the good news is Jesus did that for us. Jesus did that for me. So I'm not earning my keep with good works. Nonetheless, the Bible's also clear. You've got faith. Well, guess what? There should be some demonstration of that. There should be proof. That just happens. You can't say what great faith you have and have no deeds, no works to back that up. That's not true. And here, James makes the same case about wisdom in particular. Isn't that incredible? That when talking about wisdom, he says the same thing. He uses the same verbiage here to say, listen, if you've got wisdom, if you've got understanding, then show it by good works that are done in humility, in gentleness, in meekness. That's how you prove that. And then he goes on in verse 14 to say, but if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, don't be boast. I'm saying don't be boast. Do not boast and be false to the truth my translation says. Some of you just have or, and deny the truth. Jameson goes on to sort of qualify. If you've got these things in your heart, this bitter jealousy and selfish ambition, here again, I'm so glad that this was something that they dealt with centuries ago but that we don't deal with today. I mean, these concepts of bitter jealousy and selfish ambition, thank goodness we've never dealt with that. <laughs> right? <laughs> we deal with it constantly. And, and you know, this is a, a struggle. I mean, we, we get that. Again, James is never preaching and teaching here this concept that we reach some sort of perfection, you know, where we never struggle with these things anymore. We see that elsewhere where the Apostle Paul says, I struggle all the time. It's all the time I don't do the thing that I want to do. And meanwhile, I do the precise thing that I told myself I didn't want to do. It's this ongoing struggle. We get that. But again, James is sort of talking about a pattern here. 
And he says, if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, don't boast and be false to the truth. Well, here's the truth. When he says, don't be false to the truth or don't deny the truth. Here's that truth, just so we're, we're not unclear, you know. Here's the truth. He says in verse 15, this is not the wisdom that comes down from above. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above. Some of you uh, even have it, and, and this is a, a little bit of editorializing. It's not wrong, but it doesn't necessarily exist in the Greek. But, but when he writes that word wisdom, some of you in English have the word wisdom in quotes, right? Kind of that air quote thing. That's not what wisdom looks like. That's not what the wisdom that comes from above looks like, appears like. We've seen earlier in this letter that every good thing, every perfect thing comes from above, from the Father of lights. Hallelujah. We're going to celebrate that fact next Sunday. I invite you back for that too next Sunday. We're going to especially have a Thanksgiving service as a church family here. The following Thursday, uh, most of us will be celebrating that together in one form or another, you know, in our homes. But next Sunday, we get to do it here together as a church family and just pay tribute to our God, recognizing that every good gift, every perfect gift comes from him. And James here says, the wisdom that comes from above, that good thing, that perfect thing, it does not look like this, this selfish ambition and bitter jealousy. That's just not the character of a true wisdom that comes from above. That's the truth. And so don't say that it is. Don't say that you're a person that is filled with great wisdom and then harbors in your heart this bitter jealousy. I, I love these adjectives that he tacks on to these concepts. You know, he, he could have just said jealousy, but he adds that bitter, bitter jealousy. You know what that looks like? Let's be honest, you know what that feels like, right? And selfish ambition, not just ambition again, but selfish ambition that is self-centered that is about me squandering for you know what's mine getting what's mine he says those things those elements are not elements of wisdom that comes from above and then he starts using even stronger language and i don't think this is quite as strong as frightening even frankly as some of the language he uses last week when he talks about the power of speech, the power of our tongue, the power of our communication, and the devastation that it can cause. But it's still pretty strong language, and it sort of has this escalating nature. He says, again, I'm in verse 15, this isn't the wisdom that comes down from above, but it's earthly. And this is really common, you know, to use this, this uh, contrast between earthly and heavenly. So he says wisdom like this doesn't come from above. It's earthly instead, making this contrast. And then he goes on to say it is unspiritual. 
Again, so much of what we are told is that there's this spiritual dimension that is so much more powerful. Again, I want to be careful. This is not as the, the Gnostics taught, this idea that, that all of the material was bad and that our main job was to sort of get away from the material and enter into the spiritual at the expense of the That's not what, what the Gospels teach. That's not what the Bible teaches. Nonetheless, there's this understanding that there's this dimension, this spiritual dimension that is infinitely more important than just the material. And so he says this version of wisdom is earthly it's, uh, and it's unspiritual. It's, it's not a spiritual thing. And then he gets really harsh. My translation says demonic. <laughs> Remember last week when he talked about our tongues being lit on fire by hell itself? It's the same idea here, see. This quote-unquote wisdom that carries with it bitter jealousy, that carries with it selfish ambition, it's demonic. <laughs> and he just says, let's get really clear. It doesn't come from above. It is simply earthly. It is unspiritual, and it is demonic. And that is the, the body of the truth that James says we cannot deny. He says, don't deny this truth. Don't be false to this truth and pretend as if you have some wisdom. When in reality, what you've got is this thing that is earthly and unspiritual and then demonic. <laughs> what a horrifying thought, right? It's strong language. Verse 16, for where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. Where these things exist, and here's part of the, the again, building this case for why they cannot be spiritual, why they cannot be heavenly, why they cannot be of God. Because where these things exist, he says disorder comes into play. Let me, this is like a softball question, but do we worship a God of disorder? I'll say no. No, no, we don't. We don't. And then to say every vile practice. This is a, you know, one of my favorite verses is that verse about how money is the root of all evil, except for we all remember that wrong so frequently. The Bible doesn't say that money is the root of all evil. The Bible says love of money is the root of all evil. But doesn't love of money just go hand in glove with these same things, right? Selfish ambition, bitter jealousy, and he's saying the same thing here. That where these things are, not only is there disorder, but then there's just sort of every sort of vile practice. Because what is, when what is in your heart is, is this jealousy and this, this selfish ambition, then you start resorting to virtually anything to get what it is that you want. And so James says, 
don't be false and call that wisdom. At least not wisdom from above. But there's good news here, verse 17. But the wisdom from above, that wisdom that is from God, that wisdom that is heavenly, that wisdom that is spiritual, he said that wisdom that is from above is first pure. It is first pure. We talk about purity in all sorts of ways and in manners, but just think of something that is clean and unblemished and unstained and unpolluted. It's pure. He says, then peaceable. This uh, talking about in, in the previous statement about disorder. Peaceable is, is in part sort of the opposite statement. This biblical notion of shalom, everything in its place and everything at peace and at rest, it's peaceable. It is in part ordered. He says it's gentle. It's soft. It's not harsh. It's not rough. You know, it's gentle. Open to reason. Open to reason. That's, I, <laughs> there's a whole nother sermon here. In fact, I've preached the sermon before, but I, you know, we so often act as if we have to choose between faith and rationale somehow, and yet that's not what the Bible teaches. I mean, here he says true wisdom is open to reason. It's not just this you know, blind faith that has no reason or rationale to it. That is not what the Bible teaches. Over and over, the Bible calls us to become people of knowledge, people of reason, and true wisdom, he says, is open to that reason. Full of mercy and full of good fruits. The idea of mercy. In the Bible, this, this word is, you know, we've often defined mercy as not getting that which I deserve, you know, not receiving a punishment that I've earned or deserve. It's not a horrible uh, definition. But the biblical word mercy is, is the word that is often translated as loving kindness. You know, it, it is not just a not doing something, but it, it is a, a positive statement of doing something. Full of mercy. And then full of good fruits. For a reminder of what those good fruits look like, go back to Galatians. There's that whole fruit of the Spirit business. yes. I see most of you nodding your heads. Full of those. Impartial and sincere. Verse 18 says, And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. I love that James draws this just very stark contrast between that which is worldly and that which is heavenly. And I want us to, to really zero in and make sure that we hear uh, three things. Number one, again, what do we mean when we say whatever? What do we mean in this case when we talk about wisdom? What do we mean when we're talking about this thing? And James says there are at least two answers that wisdom comes in a couple of flavors. You just need to be aware of that. 
when Deborah and I moved to uh, West Michigan from Seattle, uh, it was a, a culture change. But one of the things we mentioned to close friends of ours once was that we missed teriyaki. You go to Seattle, you can't hardly throw a rock without hitting a teriyaki stand somewhere. You know, it's, it's almost like Starbucks. We said, we miss teriyaki. And this good friend of ours said, oh, we have teriyaki here. Go to this restaurant. They have a teriyaki dish. So we did. We went and tried it. And we thought, that's not teriyaki. <laughs> well, come to find out, what we were saying was a little bit different. You know, what we were accustomed to was Seattle teriyaki, which I later on read is kind of a thing. There's this uh, chain over in the Seattle area called Toshi's. Toshi started this in, in uh, I don't know, in the 1990s, I think, or something. But it sort of has a character that is a little bit different than traditional Japanese teriyaki. It's a bit more like fast food. You know, and you're going to get a, a, a big mound of white rice. You're going to get a really nice little salad with a very light kind of sweet dressing. And you're going to get this amazing grilled teriyaki chicken or beef or pork or whatever you want with kind of a thick, almost syrupy sauce. But it's, it's different in character. It's kind of a Seattle thing, you know. And that's what we wanted. And so when our friend said, oh, go to this restaurant, they have teriyaki. Well, he wasn't wrong, but he wasn't talking about the thing that we were talking about. We need to be careful what we're talking about. Wisdom comes in at least two flavors. One that's godly, one that's demonic. One that is heavenly, one that is earthly. One that is a spiritual thing, and one that is a, a, an unspiritual thing. It comes in two flavors. So we need to be careful what we mean when we say wisdom. But the second thing is that both of these flavors of wisdom bear fruit. They both have proof as to what's going on here. You have any question about what sort of wisdom is on display? What sort of wisdom is being demonstrated? Look at the fruit. Look at these lists. They're really plain. One is pure, peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy, full of good fruits, impartial and sincere. And the other one has jealousy and selfish ambition that produces disorder and every sort of vile practice. It's honestly kind of easy to suss out which flavor of wisdom you're talking about. And James says, don't lie about it. Don't pretend you've got one when you've got the other. Be honest. And so again, he goes back to the start of this passage of ours, and he just says, who among you is wise and has understanding? And he says, let's talk. And again, I want to do more than simply suggest that this does fit within the context of verse 1 where he brings up this concept of teachers and he says, be careful. Not many of you should, should be eager to be teachers. And then we have that whole bit about the, the tongue because you're going to be judged more harshly as a teacher and you need to understand how dangerous the tongue is. So when the tool of your trade in teaching is the tongue, is communication, be really careful. 
And now here is part of this same larger concept of humility. Now he talks about wisdom and what wisdom looks like in humility. But again, I think if the response for a lot of us is, well, I'm not a teacher, so I don't need to worry about this. That's not true. Yes, you do. (laughs) Maybe you're not a teacher. But these are still things that we all need to be concerned about, that we all need to be aware of, that we need to be warned about. And just like we looked at last week, it is by no means only teachers that have the destructive power in in their speech and in their tongues to start blazes. Here, it isn't only teachers and leaders who have the ability to get into every sort of vile practice and discord and disunity. That's not only for teachers and leaders. That's for all of us. And so James says, there are a couple types of wisdom. Let's be careful about what we're talking about here. Let's be real clear. Don't be false about it. Don't deny the truth about it. Secondly, both of those types of wisdom have fruit. They're right here. Thank you, Lord. You made it real easy for us. Thirdly, this is a call yet again for you and I to do some reflection and some searching of our hearts. It's not up to me to search your heart, and it's not up to you to search my heart. It's it's up to me to search my heart and you to search yours, yes? This is what we are called to do repeatedly by God's word. It's to again, it's not like something that we do once and then we're done. Or that we have a once a year check and, and then we're okay, I'll do this again next year, you know. Constantly, we are recalled to come again, to do this again, to observe, to reflect, to be really honest with what it is that we are exhibiting in our lives. But the really good news here is if you do some honest reflection and say, you know, the wisdom that I think I have, it looks more like this thing that's earthly and unspiritual and maybe even demonic. There's a great way to fix it. And if we're not cautious, as is so often the case, I think, I think we might say, okay, the way to fix it is to work really hard at being more pure, being more peaceable, being more gentle, being more open to reason, on and on and on, yeah? That's not what this teaches What this teaches is that's just the outflowing of true wisdom. You know how you get true wisdom? I'll give you a hint. It's earlier in this very letter. Remember? I wasn't here, but I know you talked about it. In chapter 1, verse 5, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. That's so good. 
In other words, if upon reflection you say, the, the, the character of my wisdom looks more like that bad flavor. It doesn't look like that list of things that is that heavenly wisdom that is from above. At very least, those things are absent in my life, in my behavior, in my thoughts. And at worst, what I demonstrate looks demonic and it looks like it's disordered and, and pr- pr- uh, 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 produces every kind of vile act, you know. But the good news is not to work harder to be more wise. The good news is the Bible says, you need wisdom? Ask him. It comes from him. It's all his. And you know what else? He'll give it to you generously, without reproach. You ask, he gives. This book promises it. Hallelujah. Just don't be false about whether or not you have it. You got to be honest about that. Because if and when you have true wisdom, without the air quotes, that comes from him, that comes from on high, these things are present. The peace. The filled with mercy. The fruit. That's there. Just as James earlier says, don't say you have faith and then show me no works. Here he says, don't say that you have wisdom and then show me none of this fruit. It's untrue. But praise be to God. The answer for you and I, if we don't have this fruit, isn't to work harder at the fruit. It's to ask God to make us the tree that just bears the fruit because it's in its nature to bear that fruit. Yes. Isn't that good news? Isn't that a beautiful thing? And so you and I need to reflect. You need to do that hard work for you, not for someone else, not even for your spouse. Although, you know, I I mean, sometimes it's helpful to ask people close to you, well, what do you see in my life? That's scary too. (laughs) But it's not a bad idea. But to do some hard reflection, does my life look like it has the character of wisdom from above? Does my behavior, do the choices that I make at work when I go in Monday morning, do they look like heavenly wisdom? Do the choices I make when I interact with people, when I interact with my family, my spouse, my children, my parents, my grandparents, do the, does the way that I interact with them bear the mark of heavenly wisdom? just in my private thoughts, the things that I consider, the things that I desire, the things that I am ambitious for or about, do they look like what heavenly wisdom looks like? Or does it look different? If it looks different, Ask God, if any of you lacks wisdom, this true, 
good and perfect wisdom that comes from the Father of lights. If you lack it, ask him. He's so generous. He has an infinite supply of it. He never runs out. He's never stingy with it. Ask him and he will give it to you. Your job, my job, is to continually come back to the the proverbial mirror and to look in our lives, in our thoughts, in our speech, in our very hearts, for these fruits that go with heavenly wisdom. And if it's not there, then we ask again. Yeah? There are multiple flavors of wisdom. But there is a pure, good, perfect, and right wisdom that comes right from our Father above. And he gives it generously to all who ask. And when we have it, then we bear its mark. We bear these things. We produce these things. And just like Galatians, Paul writes in Galatians, there's no law against any of these other things. James doesn't say that here, but I mean, just think about it. Who doesn't love purity and peace and gentleness and reason and mercy, good fruit, impartial and sincere? Who doesn't love that? That is the character of our God's wisdom. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. And God, we recognize again this morning that at times it steps on our toes a little bit. At times we're guilty of thinking ourselves wise and yet bearing fruit that says we, what we really possess is a, a, a flavor of wisdom that is of an entirely different character than your wisdom. God, we thirst for your wisdom because we want to bear this fruit. And we thank you that the answer to that is simply to ask you. Yet again, to return to this thought that if we lack this, this good, true, heavenly, godly, spiritual wisdom that we have but to ask and that you will give it to us generously. So help us to do the work of looking, of soul-seeking, and knowing when it is that we need to ask you for your wisdom, God. Make us these people. And fathers, we so frequently pray, if there are any with us today, here with us in the room, watching online. There are so many people uh, partaking that we are not even aware of, God, but you are. If there's anyone here that doesn't have a personal relationship with you through our Lord Jesus Christ, we pray that this would be the day that they would trust, that they would say yes to your provision. God, you've provided us a way to be made right with you, to be made clean and pure and whole with you, to have this relationship with the creator of the universe. It's all through Jesus. You don't ask us to work for it. You don't ask us to earn it. You know that it's not possible for us to do that. And yet out of love, you made the way for us to come to you and be made right with you, to be forgiven and free from the power of sin, all through Jesus Christ and what he did. And that through simple faith, we can step into that. So Father, for our friends 
who don't yet have that relationship. We pray that this would be the day that they would hear your strong voice calling to them in love and saying, come on home. I love you. I've made the way for you to come home. This is your day. Father, thank you for your love for us, for your salvation of us, for your tender care. And we thank you for what a privilege it is to come together here. We pray all these things this morning in Christ's name. Amen.